It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are now tuned in to the Locked On Sports Minnesota Podcast Network, and this is the roundtable. It's a mixture of Luke Inman, Reggie Wilson, Ron Johnson, myself, and then, of course, Sam Extra, my producer, and who produces a lot of our shows. As we jump into this, guys, let's just throw this out there. The Minnesota Vikings are not happy, or at least they're not, like, too happy with what's going on with their quarterback situation. Uh, Kellen Mond was not their draft pick, so we know that they're not tied to him. Uh, it was not going to cost a lot of money to cut him. Uh, Sean Mayne as well was not truly their guy. Kevin Seifert of ESPN said that, it's a high probability that when they start the season, the backup quarterback is not on the roster right now. Uh, let's jump into this. Reggie, what do you think about that? Yikes. Yikes, <laughs> right? Like, remember last year uh, during uh, the preseason or training camp, they, they were out, like, a lot of their quarterbacks. And this is like, man, here we go again with this whole, like, Kirk Cousins possibly having COVID, you know, whatever that situation is. And the other two guys just don't really inspire confidence. Like, I don't know if you expect a guy to to just come in there and just light it up because it's like, okay, if he does, then why isn't he challenging Kirk Cousins for the starting job? But what I do think you hope for is just competent quarterback play. And what was tough was, look, I remember earlier the, uh, this year, uh, when they played the Green Bay Packers. They needed to win to keep their playoff hopes alive. I was supposed to be at the game. I got COVID, so I ended up watching the game from a hotel room in Green Bay. I, I, I do not recommend, 10 out of 10, don't. Um, but <laughs> I remember the game was was decided upon Sean Mannion's arm, and all the glowing commentary and, and compliments that Chris Collinsworth was giving the guy. Oh, he used to play baseball. He has a huge arm and all this stuff. And it was just like, dude, what are you watching? Like, you, you watching the same dude? And it, it just, it was bad. But then it said a whole lot about Mike Zimmer that he wasn't even willing to play Kellen Mond. He put him in there for like one play and then he yanked him out of there. And then after the game, he gave a glowing comment on Kellen Mond. Really, it wasn't glowing at all. He just it's basically said he wasn't ready. And so now, you know, you hope that with some development as time goes on, maybe Mond could, like, establish himself as QB2, but he hasn't. He's just had some, some whiffs during uh, training camp. And then Sean Mannion fans were saying like he's too scared back there which is just like well, it's just training camp what what's going on so they're in a bad situation right now if Kirk Cousins goes down I don't think you can rely on either guy to consistently win you some football games with all the talent they have on offense well the good news is the only thing that can slow Kirk Cousins down is sick so he, he's been yeah. a pretty consistent quarterback. <laughs> uh, you know, other than a virus, that's the only time we've seen Kirk Cousins out. But Luke, my question to you, center as well. Garrett Bradbury has not been the guy that they love. I mean, they're they're like, hey, he has a lot to work on. He needs to get better at pass, pass blocking. Uh, it's honestly a breath of fresh air, too, to see a coaching staff be very, I guess, brutally honest about their offense. And maybe this was just a team that was defensively led that really didn't even take time to dive into the offense. So that's where holes that we've seen year after year uh, in the offense. Uh, and now this is an offensive-minded coach. It's like, look, 
we gotta we gotta deal with this. You know, we always heard for years the defensive line and we need more defensive linemen and we need more cornerbacks. Now we're hearing we need more we need more quarterbacks, not cornerbacks. We need more offensive linemen, not defensive linemen. Luke, which one scares you more? The fact that the backup quarterback uh, is not on the roster or the center might not even be on the roster right now that's going to start. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I think it's absolutely center. And my reason is pretty simple. One's a starter and one's a backup. And I understand the argument, well, quarterback's the most important position in all of sports. So it's obviously awfully important to have a quality backup. There's no question about that. But having questions with your center position when Kirk Cousins specifically is your quarterback for me, it's highly alarming knowing he needs that clean pocket to scan the field and step up and make those accurate throws. If we're talking about Kyler Murray or Lamar, Jalen Hurts, I might argue differently, but Kirk isn't a guy who creates plays with his feet when that protection breaks down. And having good blocking up front, especially in the interior, is just so vital for him and his success. So figuring out the center thing is going to be huge for KOC in this offense over the next two, three weeks, whether that's internally with maybe a backup like Chris Reed, whether they can scheme things better so Bradbury has more help on the inside from one of those guards, or maybe it's somewhere else outside the roster with a J.C. Treader's name gets flung out there a lot, maybe somebody in the free agency pool. But I think they're doing themselves a huge disservice by not drawing up some sort of game plans before the season starts. Otherwise, this... KOC high octane offense we're all getting hyped up for could be dead before it even starts and Sam this is what I ask you Sam when you're looking at that so you got a center possible battle or just we're going to find somebody else you got offensive guard uh still up in the air Jesse Davis is right right now the starter but could be at Ingram uh and then you have this backup quarterback situation of, of those three battles center guard and then backup quarterback <laughs> on Sunday you know, and, and then pass for, you know, because I think the 49ers week is going to be more telling than Sunday because you're going to see a lot more in practice mm -hmm. than you will in this game. Uh, but but over that period, Sunday to Sunday, which one are you looking forward to more as far as just let's get a feel for this quarterback center or guard battles? Yeah, well, I feel like right guard is definitely the fiercest competition right now. I feel like Ed Ingram is making a real move and I, I never felt like Jesse Davis was entrenched in that spot just based on his track record I felt like he was someone that could get knocked off the perch and and I think that right guard is definitely up for grabs I don't know if center is is that much up for grabs because I just don't know who you want as your backup I mean they've listed Chris Reed as a left guard um, and Austin Schlotman has kind of been their backup center recently and I don't know if, if you want Schlotman starting the year either so like I I just don't know how intense that center battle really is. I think right guard is a little fiercer in terms of competition, but it's hard for me to really evaluate how they're playing on the offensive line. Like, yes, I can watch, you know, snap by snap, but it is a little tough with, with the naked untrained eye to kind of see exactly what's happening in the trenches. Whereas quarterback, I mean, we can watch it easily. I watched it yesterday play out without Kirk at practice, how badly those quarterbacks struggled. And it was kind of an unfortunate preview of Sunday's game where we're going to see a bunch of Kellen Mond, a lot of Sean Mannion, and I don't know if it's going to be pretty, guys. I mean, Luke, you were in the stands yesterday. I was on the sideline. Did the bird's eye view look any better than the view from the sideline? Because I did not think they looked good at all. It looked worse, Sam. 90 minutes of watching those two <laughs> go back and forth. It was bad, man. And 
I want to go easy on him. Tell him on again. I mean, COVID year last year, we know coming out, he was very raw. It was going to take him a while. He's a developmental quarterback. But even Sean Mannion, uh, check down Charlie. It's just nothing past six, eight, ten yards at most. Uh, my question, just real quick, I know we got to stay on schedule, but Ron, when it comes to maybe throwing a guy like Chris Reed in at center, he's more of a guard naturally at, at, at heart. Is there a a big learning curve. We know there is, but how big is this learning curve holding the coaches back from just learning the checks at the line of scrimmage, learning the adjustments and things like that, that says we can't just throw Chris Reed in at center. There's too many different variables at play and it's harder than it looks and sounds just on paper. Uh, it depends honestly on who makes the checks and calls. So, and, and again, we'll see. Well, no, we're not going to see Sunday because Kirk's not playing. So we probably won't see into week one to be. I mean, mm -hmm. maybe these backups will be able to do some of this. But week one against the Packers, we'll really get an idea who's making the calls. Uh, because if you watch old, I love old Peyton Manning tapes just when he's mic'd mm -hmm. up or when there's a mic close. Uh, when you look at um, Jeff Saturday. So Jeff Saturday comes to the line. He's holding, you know, he, he, the old school. He's holding the tip of the ball because he's about to be in shotgun, but he's pointing and he's pointing at somebody. So what he just did was he identified his mic. He's like, this is who I want. Let me take care of this guy because he's either, you know, one or two steps to my right or my left. It's easy. Or he's head up on me. That's an easy guy for me to account for. That's my guy. Then you'll see Peyton come to the line and he does a bunch of crap. And then he'll change it or he'll stick to it. But then you'll see him like maybe change it and say Mike 24. And if, for those that don't understand, Mike 24, he just made the cornerback in the nickel the mic. And I've never seen a, a quarterback do this until Peyton Manning. And he told the entire line and coaching staff this and walked through why he did it. He said, if I make him the mic, if everybody to my right, which is everybody pretty much, all the defensive linemen and the two linebackers, if all those guys rush me, not a blitz, they just rush. Now you in the slot, you're hot because your guy is the last guy to come. And that means the center is accounting for you, which is not gonna like there's no way you can get to him i'm just letting you know if your guy comes i'm throwing it to you and so what that was and a lot of quarterbacks can't do that what that was was peyton manning just saying i know exactly what this blitz is going to look like so i just want to get to a play that i know is going to work without giving like tipping my hat saying here's the play i want to run kirk cousins the last four years you know we heard the you know the autonomy to change plays all that all that hot word stuff wasn't there if kirk cousins has not done it in the past. I don't see him doing it too much. So there could be a huge learning curve if the offensive line has a lot more on their plate with, we want to decide who we're going to block. You then take care of everything else and you take care of the mic and the hot route stuff, but we're going to account for who we're doing or dealing with. Um, again, we'll see. I don't, I don't know because with Matthew Stafford, the way Sean McVay explained it sometimes is he would give Matthew Stafford more than one play in his headset. Matthew Stafford then got to pick a play that worked best, you know, so whether it was a deep ball, whether it was a one-on-one -on -one route, um, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a big, huge question mark, you know, throw Edward, Edward Enigma up there with Jim Carrey because um, we have no idea what it's going to look like. Like it's the Riddler with this team. So um, that's for those that don't know who Edward Enigma is. Um, it, it's, you know, it's a riddle. Like who is going to be the quarterback? Like that's, or sorry, who is going to make these calls and who's going to make these audibles? So with that said, um, it can be simplified. If there's a guy that you think is a guy, like this guy can block his butt off. This guy can, you know, he can play. Sometimes you, you, you say, you know what? Let me put the pressure on my quarterback and take it off my line. 
Uh, but again, this is a first year coach. So, you know, he's learning like that's going to be the other part of this. He's learning just as you know much as everybody else, you know, talking to the quarterback by himself because Sean McVay did that. So now it's KLC making those calls. So it's a lot riding on this early communication. And I think the Denver Broncos week or sorry, 49ers week, uh, you're going to see that because then I think they're going to work on some of that in practice, too, with him communicating the headset to Kirk, then working on some of the live action stuff. Uh, because you can get a lot more done in practice than you can with referees on the field. It sounds like what happened with uh, Jared Goff when he was in L.A. I know Sean McVay didn't necessarily put a whole lot on him and, and kind of, you know, I think it was something like he would always try to call the plays in early so he could, like, talk to him up until that 15-second mark on the play clock. And, you know, he can go out there, and once Jared got set, he was like, okay, he was kind of helping him diagnose what the defense was was showing them and then helping him, you know, be in better positions to succeed as far as, like, where he should be throwing to, what he should be doing. And not that, you know, he has to do that with uh, Kirk uh, and Kevin O'Connell, but it, it, it kind of sounds like that. Maybe he's, like, taking some of the onus off the quarterback a little bit and, like, sharing the the love as far as, like, how the play is going to develop. That's kind of what it sounds like. Yeah, more coaches are communicating. So, like, the rule is actually 15 seconds or you're at the line of scrimmage, whichever comes first. So 15 seconds comes uh -huh. first, it's off. If you get to the line of scrimmage and your players are set, it's off. You can't get to the line mm -hmm. with 20 seconds and or 25 seconds and they can talk. So that's why quarterbacks kind of do the loose huddle when they want to get more conversation with their coach and they you know they leave the receivers mm -hmm. out. Um, but yeah, no, you can't talk to them once you once you get under center or once your team's set and you're running through, it's off. So it's 15 seconds mm -hmm. or line of scrimmage set, whichever comes first. And so that's why McVay, uh, Peyton Manning even did it. They were smart enough to say, let's do a loose huddle. Let's be kind of in our mm -hmm. positions, but we're not set so I can still talk to you. Um, and, and, and Matthew Stafford made the comment. He said, man, I love how much Sean McVay is like talking to me and helping me out. Uh, even though he's a vet, he knows it. He's like, man, it was just a huge kind of confidence boost. It was a huge help to have a second eye, you know, watching the same thing. Like, do you see what I see? Yep, let's run that play. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think that's where Kirk is going to get a little boost is I don't know if he had that. I've always said that. I always, I always said, I wonder what that conversation and headset looks like on the upcoming play when Kirk made like bonehead mistakes. I'm like, what did they tell him when he came to like the Falcons game, the play action, you know, when the Falcons were Owen forever, they had won a game all season. They come into the Metrodome or sorry, uh, US Bank Stadium. Uh, Kirk Cousins first play as a play action is supposed to go deep. But if you don't have the deep route, you go over. If you don't have the over, you dump it off to the running back. Kirk Cousins throws the over route and the linebackers right there. Pick six. If you watch the tape back, nobody's within 10 yards of Alexander Madison. And so he just dumped it off. And that's where a coach says, hey, this is the first play. We want to come put, you know, put our foot on their throat early. But hey, if it's not there, just dump it off. Like, dump it off, dump it off. Like, that's the last thing I'm saying. Hey, dump it off. Hey, if it don't don't make a mistake here. Dump it. Unless he's wide open on this play action, dump it off. No, let's move on to this Sunday's game. We kind of hit on it a little bit. Um, but what do you expect to see? And let's start with Luke. What do you expect to see Sunday from this game? Well, we're no we're not gonna see much of the ones. And for that matter, we might not see much of the twos either. So get ready for a lot of names you maybe haven't heard much of that go out there and make the splash plays, posting great box scores. Yesterday at practice defensively, Jonathan Bullard really surprised me in a good way, winning a lot of reps, was actually with the ones a little bit there too, but second and third team, he might be out there a lot. Looking the part of a big five tech with the size and power holding his own against some of those offensive tackles. But deeper in the weeds. 
looking for guys that can just pin their ears back and fly around and have the speed that translates to the NFL, like UDFA linebackers Luigi Villain and Zach McLeod. I think both could pop up on the highlight reel Sunday. I'm hoping, praying, wishing Chaz Surratt does the same with his opportunities Sunday as well. Still waiting to see if there's anything there. Third-round pick just last year. And offensively, huge opportunity for some of these bubble receivers to start separating themselves from the pack. Are they going to keep five, six, maybe seven wide receivers? Myron Mitchell, Tristan Jackson, Albert Wilson should get chances in both the passing game and fielding punts. So maybe he can double dip there. And I guess if you want one bold prediction, though, I'll say this. No Dalvin Cook, probably no Madison, or not much, if anything. I don't think they want to overload Kenny in his first back coming back off that knee injury. So I think Ty Chandler is in a perfect position to go out there and not only see the bulk of touches, but also flash a lot of that speed we've seen from camp. So I think he has a A.J. Rose type of performance. We saw it last year, <laughs> preseason week one, Broncos 25 carries, 100 yards into touchdowns. I'm feeling similar vibes from Ty Chandler on Sunday, and I'll probably add a few catches out of the backfield too. So Get him on your preseason fantasy football team now before it's too late. That's my lock of the week. Ty Chandler, book it. Week one, Vikes preseason MVP. What'd you got, Sam? <laughs> yeah, we're going to see a whole lot of Kellen Mond. Um, and I don't know what that's going to look like. It's It hasn't been great at practice, but can Kellen Mond pull it together for this preseason game? And he might be, you know, protected by second string linemen. He's going to be throwing to to backup receivers and he's going to have backup tight ends. So the deck, the deck might be stacked a little bit against him, but uh, wide receivers and Luke touched on those depth wide receivers. I'm watching Myron Mitchell and I'm watching Tristan Jackson. I think those are the two guys battling potentially for that final wide receiver spot. Um, and I think they both could, could be targeted heavily. I don't think we'll see Jefferson or Thielen, obviously, and I don't think we're going to see K.J. Osborne either. I think he's too valuable to this operation. So I think your wide receiver one is Amir Smith-Marset. I think Jalen Naylor's number two. And then I think Mitchell and Jackson are battling uh, as sort of your wide receivers three and four in that game. So they're going to get a whole lot of playing time. On the defensive side, I want to see if Andrew Booth Jr. can play a clean game without flags because he has been a flag magnet in practice, and I want to see if he can balance that out a little bit, not get to the ball too early, or not get to the receiver too early, um, and see if he can make some plays without drawing the flag, because that's been his issue early in camp, and I, I like him. I like his, his aggressiveness. He's just got to play within the rules a little bit better, so that's what I'm watching for on defense, and obviously, Lewis Seen. You know, what, what can he do? Can he make some big hits? Can he uh, ball hawk a little bit? Be watching those uh, those top two picks for the Vikings. What you got, ready? So I, look, I think that Kellen Mond has like a lot to prove, but I, I think he's just gonna let it all hang out there. So I think what I what I my little like bold prediction is Kellen Mond is gonna go off, running all over the place, throwing it all over the yard. And he's gonna find some some favor with with maybe BC Johnson. How about that? Maybe BC Johnson has about uh, like a, a hundred yard game or something like that. Those two just hook up. I think. Look, this job, this backup job, is his for the taking if he wants it. And so, you know, Luke and I have been talking about this all week. Like he's the guy to me that I just keep keying in on because I feel like. If he wants this backup job, and he's like, look, y'all don't have to go out 
somewhere else. You know, you, you don't have to trade for I heard that people are talking about the, the Vikings possibly wanting to trade for Jimmy G. It's just like, are you guys insane? That's 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 crazy. Where's the money coming from? For one exactly. I'm like, what what are we <laughs> What are we doing? Like, we sent Julia over to training camp yesterday, and she said about four or five beat writers were like, yeah, they should trade for Jimmy G. And I'm just like, for one, they can't afford him. And two, like, he's an established starter in this league. You don't bring a guy like that so Kirk Cousins can be like, wait, what? Jim, what is he doing? Like, just looking over his shoulder every five seconds. So, look, I think this job can be Kellen Mons if he wants it. Just go out there and and just let it all hang out, you know. Have a have a Malik Willis type performance from from last night. Just go out there, do your thing, and, and just play with no fear. Just play like you're playing in the backyard out there and and let it rip. If Mon well, you know struggles, Reggie, you just... the the first call I'm making is to Pittsburgh, and I'm asking him uh-huh. for Mason Rudolph. They've got Trubisky, Ugh. they've got Pickett. I'm asking for Mason Ugh. Rudolph. Split the money. I mean, that Ooh. would be a major upgrade. That would be a major upgrade. No, over we know Mason mind. Rudolph can take a hit to the head with a helmet, so he is tough. He's a tough guy. <laughs> tough, yeah. Um, this is what I said. Reggie, Reggie brought up a good point. I'll, I'll close out this one with uh, the Rams last year lost every single game in the preseason, and they won the Super Bowl. So the preseason clearly really doesn't matter to this regime and the way uh, KOC has won Super Bowls. In his mind, he's like, look, preseason doesn't matter. We lost every single one and we were Super Bowl champs, so I'm not really worried about it. They rested 30 players last year, meaning mm. they played a bunch of threes. Their backup quarterback didn't even play last year in the preseason much. Um, so, I mean, when he did play, though, he was rusty, so clearly it's he might need to play a little bit, but I think they thought Stafford's going to be healthy. This guy's going to make the team. Let's not even waste our time with this. Uh, so they rested 30-odd guys and played a bunch of threes in the preseason last year. So that's also probably the reason why they didn't win a preseason game, because they didn't play anybody. Uh, So we'll see what this team does. But you brought up Malik Willis. He did burst onto the scene, had a rushing touchdown, had a really nice scramble throw, and then had a a Patrick Mahomes type of sidearm underneath throw, uh, a la like Aaron Rodgers and and guys that can twerk, twerk their body. And, and get that throw in. He he got one of those last night too. And people were like, "Whoa, I didn't expect that one." Um, mm-hmm. The question is, do you think the Vikings? And we'll start with you, Reggie. Do you think the Vikings whiffed by not at least drafting him when he was still out there late? Oh, that's tough, man. Especially though, considering how much he fell. Um, I think if you ask Quasi, I think he would say that he really liked his draft. And being that they committed that money to Kirk Cousins, I feel like they probably were like, look, we're just going to let this play out this year. Kirk's the guy. We don't need anybody challenging him for this spot. We're going to do what we can with Kirk in place, and we'll address the quarterback position at a later time. And so, look, yeah, you could get this guy and develop him, and, you know, it would have been valuable for him to sit behind Kirk. But then, like, you know, basically what Tennessee is going to be dealing with is whenever Ryan Tannehill makes a mistake or if he has a bad game or anything like that, fans are going to be like, well, you might as well put Malik Willis in, see what he can do, see what's going on with him, see if he can provide a spark, see if he can help the team. And I think that's going to be the case as well. If he had have come to Minnesota, like people are going to say, oh, well, you know, people have been fed up with Kirk anyway. 
I think, you know, Kirk is a very polarizing figure here in Minnesota. Some people either like him or they hate him. Like, there's no, like, in-between. Like, there's no, like, oh, you know, yeah, Kirk's fine. I- I've never heard that before in my life where someone says, Kirk's fine. He's he's <laughs> he's fine. I Those think are Sam, either you, Sam's people. Yeah. <laughs> either you like him or, or you just can't stand Shoot him. Shoot the arrows at so, me. I can take it. <laughs> and so I think, you know, he was there to to be taken, but I don't think you take a guy like that unless you're just completely sold that he's the future. And there was just – it seemed to be too many question marks on this guy considering where he was taken in the draft. Yeah, and so I go to you, Luke, on that. I mean, when you look at the third round, the Vikings drafted uh, Brian Asamoah. So – could I mean is it that would that have been too soon? Because I mean you have an early third round pick and you also get a lot of third round. Uh, that was a part of the Detroit trip out, but they end up getting a really good play. And Malik Willis goes twenty second to the Titans. Um, you know, could there have been more trades because the Vikings had a lot of late round picks to get back up in there to like try to get him if he's still out there. You know, but. Do you what do you say to that? Brian Asamoah versus Malik Willis? Yeah, I you know, I also look at the Ed Ingram pick, who it looks like could be a plug and play starting right guard, which they desperately needed, but a lot of people had him as a what, a third, fourth round grade. Same with Brian Asamoah. Maybe could have got him one round later. Maybe he ended up trading back that 59th pick overall. You drafted Ed Ingram and you can still get him around later and you add another third. Nobody thought these quarterbacks were going to fall the way they did. I was shocked to see how far they fell on draft day. Willis was rumored to go in the first round. He doesn't go right. until pick yep. 86. Desmond Ritter falls to the Falcons at what, like 74. Matt Corral dropped to 94. Sam Howell went to uh, Washington at like pick 144. So out of all of them, though, yeah, Willis by far had the most raw tools and physical set of skills to mold and that was definitely on display last night we all saw it I think we got our first taste of why he was so highly regarded coming out even though again he's Mm -hmm. still a long ways from becoming a true NFL quarterback that can win from the pocket and read defenses things like that but the physical tools are there and those are the things that you just can't teach to know he could have easily went in round one and no one would have batted an eye I, I think you're sitting there in the third And you should be thinking, I think we can easily justify this, given the position, how important quarterback, backup quarterback, like we just talked about, how important having a young developmental quarterback is, um, you know, justified that just based off the value of the draft charts alone. I hope I'm wrong, but after what we saw yesterday at, at, you know, at practice with Mond and Mannion, uh, again, it would sure be nice to have a guy like Willis back there right now. Yeah, Sam, whiff or not. And then what does Malik Willis have to do to prove it to be a whiff? Yeah, well, I mean, I think Tennessee did what the Vikings should have done. Tennessee knew that Tannehill was going to be their guy for at least another year, and they're stashing Willis to learn behind a veteran. Vikings could have done that. I mean, there's a lot of revisionist history where people look back at 2018 and say, the Vikings could have had Lamar Jackson at number 30. Well, realist, you weren't (laughs) going to do that after signing Kirk Cousins that year. Obviously, you weren't going to do that, but – you're no longer attached to Kirk forever. I mean, you're attached to Kirk for two more years, maybe one year if things go poorly this year, uh, where Kirk might you know, be willing to accept a trade. 
Um, but if you draft Willis with any of those first four picks, you know, like Kirk Cousins knows he's the guy this year. It's not like he's looking over his shoulder too much. It's not like they're going to bench him and start Willis. It would be a clear draft and stash situation. And I think the fact that the Vikings passed on him four times is the big sin here. It's not that they passed on him once. I'm totally fine with them making their first-round pick. Um, I'm totally fine with them making their second-round pick as well. But when you get into the third round, you're making your fourth pick of the draft, and someone with that type of athleticism is just sitting there for the taking, why not take a flyer on him when you do need a quarterback of the future here at some point? Um, yeah. And to get value like that in the third round it, I think it would have made a lot of sense. So I think that the Tennessee is now sitting in a good spot. They've got their quarterback of the present, and they've got a very exciting quarterback of the future that fans are going to be really excited about. So if you're an NFL quarterback and if you're Tannehill or, you know, if you were Cousins and you were – if it literally, like, affected your play or affected your, your ability to perform, if you were concerned about having a backup that was drafted, I feel like that's that's a huge – indictment on you um so i don't I, I don't think the vikings should have been nervous to do it and uh yeah i do think they whiffed and i think that willis is going to be pretty good in this league i'm gonna say no they did not whiff mm. this is why ed ingram i think is going to be a guy brian asamoa has already proven to be a guy um they just have to figure out where to use him but in a 3-4 defense compared to a 4-3 there's a lot more versatility with your linebackers in a 3-4 because you have four backers on the field and so now brian asamoa could find himself a home and also really solid special teams piece malik willis in order to be considered a whiff you can't just be teddy bridgewater you have to be lamar jackson you have to be mvp status to be a whiff I, I gotta say no like you I gotta see way more than preseason because again we keep talking about people resting he's not going against number ones he's not even going against a defense that's really giving him a bunch of stuff we saw Justin Fields say that same BS oh man the game is so slow to me I thought this was gonna be and then the season started oh okay yeah I'm not that good <laughs> defenses are really fast coaches do scheme for me so nobody's scheming from a week Malik Willis and so yeah he's he's an athlete he can run, but when you put him on a field with a bunch of guys that are going to, you know, make practice squads, get cut, or end up packing groceries, um, it, it, you can't really just this early say that it was a whiff. You can say Ed Ingram and, and Brian Asamoah are going to be pieces of this team. You don't know what Malik Willis is going to be when the bullets start flying. And I hope he does great. Like, I hope he does great. But we've seen a lot of, like Baker Mayfield, or not Baker Mayfield, uh, Johnny Manziel. We've seen a lot of guys come out and people just – like, you know, whether it was undersized or, and Johnny Manziel burned out. Like he wasn't the guy they thought he was going to be. Um, so yeah, no, I can't say it's a whiff, but I, I definitely am interested in seeing where this Tannehill versus Malik Willis goes um, because Tannehill might be on the market in the next couple of years and he might be cheap. I'm not saying the Vikings should take him, but I'm not saying they shouldn't. Uh, if Kirk Cousins is done and you don't want to pay, you know, 84 million again, but that's never here nor there. We're going to move on to the twins. The twins are now, 1.5 games back after having like a four and a half game lead. I don't know what you call that besides a meltdown. And can they find their way back to the top of their division? There you have it. Cleveland Guardians, 59 wins. The Minnesota Twins, 57. And the Shy White Sox are right behind them with 56. And then we got the Kansas City uh, Royals at 47, and then my lowly Detroit Tigers at 43. And the Cleveland Guardians, 
as me and Sam talked about, are going to get the Tigers eight times. I think it's eight, seven or eight times out of the next 11 games. That is cheating. It's not fair. And no, <laughs> not in the next 10 to 20 games. Not, not, I say not in the next 15 games. The Twins have no chance to get back on top because of who the Guardians are playing and who the Twins have to play. So my answer to start off is no, but I'll turn it over to you. Let's go to Sam first. Yeah. Um, will the Twins lead the division at any point in the rest of the year? I kind of I side with you, Ron. Maybe I'm just like a prisoner of the moment because they're struggling, <laughs> but I don't think the Twins are going to bounce back from this. I just think they, they've had so much injury trauma on this team that they are no longer the team we thought they were a couple months ago. Like the, the roster is just so depleted. The pitching staff, even with the trade acquisitions, is still so depleted. Um, no Kirilov, no Royce Lewis. Buxton is about half of himself. Trevor Larnick is out. Um, Ryan Jeffers is out. So many injuries that I just don't know if they have the horses to, to get it done. Their starting pitching is going to have to get a whole lot better. And they have some tough series coming up after Kansas City. Um, so I think it's going to be tough to, to get back in first. I, I think the wind is out of their sails, but I'm, I'm curious what the other guys think. What do you got, Reggie? Yeah, I, I'd, I'd love to sit here and say, hey, so much baseball left to be played. And we know there's ebbs and flows throughout the entire season. They're, what, one and a half games back right now. They'll get hot again. They'll go on a run at some point, snatch this thing back. But I'm just starting to lose faith. I, I'm with you guys in this team's ability to put it all together for periods and stretches. The hitting, the pitching, the coaching, the timely hitting, the ability to close out games, staying healthy, like Sam just mentioned, all those big names. I think while they got some good arms in those trades two weeks ago, they maybe waited too long and missed out on even better difference makers. And I think even more so that's worrying is you missed out on a huge opportunity that, that Ron kind of teed up. And you missed out on the soft part of your schedule. That's come and gone. It's only going to get tougher while we see Cleveland's schedule is now going to be one of the easiest they've seen moving forward. And they just might not give this thing up. What it's all going to come down to, there's a couple series matchups left, specifically in September with the Guardians. I know the Twins got them at home September 9th for a four-game homestand. Every one of those games is going to be critical when it gets down to crunch time. But right now, uh, not a lot of faith. I'm with you guys. Dang, I feel like yeah, we're all ready? just like, yeah, I, I, dang, shoot. Uplift I mean, us, Reggie. Give us some positivity to end the day. I don't know. This is what I'll give you, Reggie. It. Reggie, That's so the, this is what I'll give you. Instead, yeah. of, instead of you having to decide, I'll give you a, a, another question. So here you go. The new MLB format, right? So before, let's just look at the 2021 playoffs last year. The way it was, you had the Rays, the Astros, the White Sox, the Red Sox. Uh, the Yankees, and then on the National League, you have the Giants, Brewers, Braves, Dodgers, Cardinals. With the new format, the Toronto Blue Jays would have gotten in and the Cincinnati Reds. The way they're doing it now is you're going to get three winners from the AL, three division winners from the NL, three wildcard teams now from the AL, and three wildcard teams from the NL, and then they're going to seed them out by best record, second best, third best, best among, uh, best record among, among non-divisional would be fourth seed, blah, blah. Do the Twins even have a chance of being a wild card now? Because if if they're not the division winner, they now have to have one of the top three records from uh, from the AL that are not division winners. So can they stay even in that race when you look at, you know, the other uh, leagues like where the Yankees are? I mean, you got two to three teams in other divisions that are higher than them already. So 
can they even hold on to get a wild card berth now? So I guess that's where I was going to go with it, just because, like, this division thing just kind of seems like it's it's behind them. You know, they could surprise us and go on some type of a run. You know, as Luke said, there are a lot of games left to be played, but it's just like, man, what you've seen over the last, what, month and a half, two months, it just really mm -hmm. doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. But what the hope is, is that they can still make the playoffs. That I think if they don't make the playoffs this year, it would be just a miss of epic proportions because you're talking about a team that was leading, leading the division far and away for stretches of this season. I mean, it's been since April. I think Luke brought it up yesterday. It's been since April that they didn't have the lead in the, in the division. And that is mm -hmm. just... Man, that's a tough pill to swallow, especially when you have, like, the president of the organization coming out before the season started saying that they have playoff expectations and they believe that they will make the playoffs this year. And it, it's tough. <laughs> As Sam mentioned, they got, they got all these injuries that they have battled, which doesn't help. You know, Byron Buxton, he's there. I mean, at least give him that, you know, I, he is, you know, just kind of hobbled a little bit, but he is there. And so you hope that just having his presence just kind of helps, you know, because, you know, every now and again, he blasts one out of the park. But like, look, you brought Carlos Correa in here because he has championship pedigree. Like, it's time for him to like lead this team. Like, he should be in the clubhouse every day, just like talking, like walking up and down, walking up and down that dugout each and every day, like, yo, come on, we got this, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, like, motivating the guys, because, like, that's why they brought him here, and he also needs to lead by example as well, like, we need a little bit more production from him to be more of a spark for this team, and if they're going to make the playoffs, they, they need some consistency from somebody, like, there's no consistency anywhere right now, either you have consistency in the pitching or in the hitting, but, like, they don't have it in either place and you know they made those trades because they felt like the pitching was the most inconsistent part of this team and it's just like well okay it's time for them to show up if that's what's gonna happen because it's crunch time right now so like they need somebody to step up and i want to thank everybody for joining us today on the round table this is locked on sports minnesota i'm ron johnson that was sam ekstrom Luke Emmon and Reggie Wilson. Please continue to download and subscribe. You can talk to, uh, check out Superior Sports Talk on Locked On Sports Minnesota, as well as the Ron Johnson Show. We are here daily. And then, of course, now we have added the football party. You don't want to miss it. There might be some tinfoil hats every now and then, and things get a little crazy with some of these weirdos on this podcast. But I'm Ron Johnson. Thank you for joining. Have a great day. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.